wasn't about like making friends with rejection, but it's more like allowing it to sit at the table with me. Like, I don't need to be your friend. You don't need to be my friend, but we can be here together existing. I don't need to give you power. Welcome to Let It Out. I'm Katie. This week, I have a conversation with a friend of mine, actress and director, Lynn Chen. You might know her from her roles in shows like Grey's Anatomy, which we touch on at the end of this, or a really important, beloved role that she played years ago in Saving Face, or perhaps you know her from her really popular food blog, which was called The Actor's Diet. And most recently, she's been behind the camera. She made her directorial debut just a couple years ago, I think 2020, 2021. It was really cool. I got to be at the premiere and and see her film and that she actually wrote and starred in as well, which we touch on just briefly in this. And she's really, really incredible. And when I asked her what she wanted to talk about this time on the show, she said, without hesitation, rejection. So we start this conversation with that, talking about what she calls phases of rejection, what she's learned lately about how to handle it. And, you know, she's someone who has spoken about her disordered relationship with eating and and her body. And as I mentioned, she ran this food blog called The Actor's Diet for years and years and was really involved in in this world of both eating disorder recovery and food journalism, really. And she spoke to other people in the industry about food and eating. And that is one of several topics that we cover in this as well. And really, you know, act one is about rejection. Act two is really about eating disorder recovery. And and with that, you know, I want to read something before we get started with the show that I've actually read here a couple of times. And honestly, I'm pretty sure I read this pretty recently on an episode with Virgie Tovar. We had a two-part episode with Virgie earlier this year. And the second part there was less of the interview left. And I made it somewhat of a clip show about just complex relationships to food, really. And, you know, you don't have to ever have anything clinical to to find value in, in that episode. And I'm really proud of that episode. And it, yeah, became this clip show around that topic. And, and in that, I read this definition of normal eating, which was handed to me on my first day of in-treatment eating disorder recovery nearly a decade ago. And it's something I constantly return to. And because of, you know, the complex nature of diet culture and wellness culture, and, you know, we get into that a little bit here. And because of that, I want to read Ellen Satter's definition of normal eating that comes from her 1999 book, which is called Secrets of Feeding a Healthy Family, How to Eat and Raise Good Eaters. So with that, 
here it goes again. If you've heard this definition of normal eating before, maybe it's a good tune up. It always is for me. Maybe, you know, you want to skip ahead. That That's totally cool. This episode is not very eating disorder heavy and it's it. We don't talk about it the entire time, but it is a topic that we cover here. And I know a lot of folks that listen to this have shared, you know, a similar sentiment to me where it's helpful to to get these messages again and again when we have so many messages coming at us promoting diet culture and telling us to change how we look or how we eat. This can be a nice antidote. With that, here we go. I'm going to read this definition now. Normal eating is being able to eat when you are hungry and continue until you are satisfied. It is being able to choose what food you like to eat and truly get enough of it without just stopping eating because you think you should. Normal eating is being able to give some thought to your selection so you get nutritious food, but not being so wary and restrictive that you miss out on enjoyable food. Normal eating is giving yourself permission to eat sometimes because you are happy or sad or bored or just because it feels good. Normal eating is mostly three meals a day or four or five, or it can be choosing to munch along the way. It is leaving some cookies on the plate because you know you can have some again tomorrow, or it is eating more now because they taste so wonderful. Normal eating is overeating at times, feeling stuffed and uncomfortable, and it can be undereating at times and wishing you had more. Normal eating is trusting your body will make up for your mistakes in eating. Normal eating takes some attention, but is only one important area of life. In short, normal eating is flexible. It varies in response to your hunger, your schedule, your proximity to food, and your feelings. Again, that's from Secrets to Feeding a Healthy Family, the 1999 book from Ellen Satter. And it's really my philosophy on on food and eating. And some people are, I think we're all born normal eaters, right? But we get hijacked by trying to change and manipulate our bodies. And being around people who are normal eaters is really helpful and useful. But it's kind of rare because a lot of people's relationship to their bodies and food is complex. And this is something that I'm fully not, you know, embodying perfectly by any means. And I still have a lot of odd habits and shame around the way that I eat and what I eat and don't eat and how I do it. And it's complex, but this is sort of my golden compass of where I want to head. And I've spoken about it before and the holidays are around the corner and we talked about food a, a decent amount in this. I figured I would read it again. But if you want more of this sort of content or, or helpful content around this, I I highly recommend going back to my two-part episode with Virgie recently. It features an episode with Savala Nolan that I believe is also two parts and any of my episodes with Christy Harrison. She is the host of the Food Psych podcast, which I highly, highly recommend and her books. She has a new book coming out really soon and I've actually gone to read it early and it's brilliant. And so she'll, she'll be back on the show soon. But at the end, we take some questions from mutual friends of ours and we geek out about the TV show Felicity and I'm just really grateful that you're here. So with that, I will just briefly mention one housekeeping thing, which is that if you've been here for a minute, you already know about In Process. It's a course. It's a workshop. It's a class that I teach. It's a support group. It's co-working and 
I love it. And I, I pushed it off a week. So if you were thinking about joining and didn't, and you still want to, and you're listening to this, um, you still can. The link is in the show notes to figure out what that is. And if you have any questions about anything at all, you know where to find me. But here is my episode with Lynn. When I asked you what you wanted to talk about today, because since that conversation, we've become friends and stayed friends this whole time. And we've been trying to to do another podcast and have you back on for honestly years at this yeah. point. Yeah. And I asked you, you know, casually like, oh, what do you want to talk about today? And you said rejection. So let's start there. Why did you choose that as our jumping off point topic? <laughs> when I tell people what I do, which is a lot of things, but mainly the thing I've done most of my life is that I'm an actress. Whenever I say that, people know automatically, even if you don't know much about the business, that a lot of an actor's job is rejection. I don't think it comes as any surprise that that's like a, a major theme in my life. It's a, it's a major theme in most people's lives. It's something that I have always been, I wouldn't say grappling with, but, but learning to not even be friends with. <laughs> I don't want to be friends with rejection, <laughs> but, but, but learn how to live with, learn how to, learn how to, to make it so that it's not something debilitating. And it never is as bad as it feels in the moment when you're going through like a very long, dry spell. And so I thought it'd be interesting to talk about it now when I'm going through a bit of a dry spell, um, a pretty long one. And I think it would be helpful not only for myself, my future self, my past self, and for others to hear about the actual struggle as it's happening rather than when things are really good. Because when when they're good, of course, it's like so easy to just list off all the accomplishments and what it took to get to different places. But when you're in the place of what feels like a barren time and you still have to keep creating, still have to keep showing up as your full self, I've learned some new techniques. So that's why I wanted to, I've, I wanted to talk to you about this as it's happening. I'm so glad you did. I mean, I'm so glad you brought that up as a topic, not that you've had to experience any rejection. I, I guess I wish everyone would never have to feel rejection. But no, I actually don't think that because I think most parts of life, you know, you have to have contrast to notice the good. You have to have felt the not so good. And like you said, you know, the, these conversations I like to look at as time capsules of where we are today. And the older that we get, the more self-awareness we have. And then the bigger the sample size to know that things change and, and that life is cyclical and long. And I, I often think about that, you know, not directly in terms of rejection, but related in terms of periods of feeling good or even high or newness and novelty or a bit of stagnation. And someone said this to me in the context of breakups of like your first heartbreak is always the most challenging because you haven't 
had enough experience to know that this happens and will happen again and again and again. And each one after that is, is subsequently like a little bit easier just because of practice and time. And, you know, you've been down, you know, you'll come up again. So something I think about, you know, in terms of depression or just low periods is the tide. It comes, it goes, it, it ebbs and, and flows. And I'm so curious what you've what you've learned from the perspective of an outsider or even me, you know, I know you and I'm your friend, but, and I was talking to some of our our mutual friends about you today. And on the outside, like, I'm, I'm so surprised to hear you say that because I'm like, Oh my God, you were on Grey's Anatomy. The last time I saw you was at the premiere of a film that you were in and directed like to me on the outside, only seeing maybe, parts and not being with you every single day, it doesn't look like it's a spell of lowness. It looks like a real high. So, you know, I I really appreciate you saying this because I think everyone has periods of both, but often we only see one version and then we're comparing ourselves to that one version and it makes us all feel bad. That's a big part of why I I do want to talk about it because I do know how it looks. Part of the reason why I think looking at other people's lives through a comparison lens can be so dangerous. I think we all know it, but it's still this almost primal reaction that we have. Call it FOMO, just call it comparison and how you choose to look at others' success. When I'm busy and I'm booked and I'm doing great, I I couldn't be happier for everyone, right? We all get to drink from this great punch of life. And then if my cup is empty and everyone else's is full, it just becomes a lot more challenging. And I'm not even talking just about career. I mean, we can talk about rejection in in huge ways of the rejection that I had in fertility for many years. And uh, you can also talk about friendship rejection, which happens very naturally as we get older. Family rejection, which happens as things get more complicated. It's hard not to have this sort of narrative of like, why me? What's wrong with me? Even though we all know all of us are, are struggling. Yeah, it exposes us to a wider spectrum of what's going on with other people. You know, we just didn't know as much before that, I think. But, you know, it still existed, obviously, comparison. And, you know, it wasn't Eleanor Roosevelt that said comparison is the thief of joy. And that was before social media, you know, so it's like it's been an issue before. (laughs) And like, to your point, being an actor... Career-wise, you chose one that exposes you to a lot of rejection, but there's all of those other sorts of rejection that we all feel as human beings. And I'm so sorry you've, you've had to feel. And at the same time, getting a yes all the time would also pose problems. You know, I, I think that doesn't lead to... For sure. The, you know, all good either. But yeah, I, I think any career wise, you know, there's, there's career work rejection 
and other than being an actor in, in several different arenas. However, I do think having a creative career or a more unstable career as being a freelancer or a person with many jobs or I don't know, there, there are positions probably where there is a bit more stability or just, you know, having a full-time job with a boss and a trajectory of growth, which I've had before temporarily, there is a bit more stability to that. Like there just, there just is a bit less rejection, even though of course there's rejection in that and that could go away tomorrow. You know, like you don't know what could happen. Uncertainty exists across the board, but I think there is more in certain careers that we both happen to be in. And yeah, I'm so curious what you've learned. Like, does your sensitivity towards it lessen the more you've experienced? Does your threshold to sustain it increase based on more experience? Like what what is it that you've that you've learned? Lately, the rejection has been coming nonstop in like big ways and small ways, things that are huge deals that could change my life forever in, in huge, momentous ways, things that feel so insignificant I, that I don't even want them. <laughs> well, so I'll give some examples. So obviously, you know, the acting thing, that it, that almost feels like because it's been decades of auditioning, I, I don't even, I think most actors who've been doing this for a while would agree that when you have an audition the first time, you just sort of do it and then you just forget about it until you hear callback or you hear they're very interested or or people are, you know, you feel like the dance of, of this is a possibility. Um, and then you want it more and then you think, oh, this could be mine. And then you start to think about <laughs> what could happen to your life. And you just sort of don't really think about it until it's a reality. And then the closer and closer you're getting to that reality, the more you have to really entertain it as a possibility. And then when you find out that it's a no, for the most part, especially when you're, you haven't worked for a while, or you need just a little bit more for health insurance or anything to pay rent, you know, like, so that part is hard. But for the most part, when it comes to acting, I don't, it doesn't really bother me anymore. I had this moment recently where I had been hearing a lot of no's, not only from acting, but um, I'm also, as you had mentioned before, I also am behind the camera. So I write and I direct. I've been pitching a show with a with a very big celebrity for the last year. And we, we have not sold the show yet, but I know what we have is so great. And the hearing no's, I, I get it. But at the same time, the the opportunities to be in some of these rooms that we are we are pitching in. Um, it, it's hard not to like think about how how much is on the line when you're doing it. And then when you hear a no, it's almost like, oh my God, I didn't win the lottery. <laughs> but at the same time, it's like I wasn't really expecting to win the lottery, but like I I, I like it feels ridiculous to be to be upset about it. But at the same time, like why why not? Why not? Especially because I I do know a lot of people who've whose careers have been in places where um where they do win the lottery on a regular basis. So um so it does feel a little bit like why why not me? 
So anyway, I, I had been experiencing that and, and also some, some rejection from, from friends and some family members and other no's that were coming my way, just kind of nonstop. Like a, a feel, there was definitely a feeling in me that was like, Oh man, I need a break. I need a break. Like I need, I need a, not even a break from the rejection, but like the rejection needs to stop and I need a yes. I decided in that moment, you know, so much of, my career is based on how I look and being able to sort of be at the whim of whatever the character is or or whatever people want. And I decided I'm going to dye my hair pink just for fun. I miss the era of my, of my 20s of, of dyeing my hair every which color. And I kind of feel like I want to experience that now. And I thought, oh, it'll be really simple. We'll just get something that'll wash out and six or seven washes because my hair is pretty light. So I went and I got my hair done pink. And uh, sure enough, that evening, I got an audition, which normally I would just audition (laughs) with pink hair and not think anything of it. But my friend was directing it. And he's also the executive producer. And the part would not be appropriate with pink hair. And I just did not want him to watch the tape and be like, what's happening? <laughs> Why is your hair pink? Oh my gosh. So what do you do? Do you get away? So, so I, I texted him to say, hey, um, just so you know, I have pink hair. Is that cool? And he said, oh, uh, well, for this part, that wouldn't really make sense if you could. But if you say, I was like, oh, don't worry, it'll wash out. And he's like, well, if it'll wash out, then like, you know, no biggie. But like, yeah, you, it, it probably like you, you probably shouldn't have pink hair for this. So I called my hairdresser and was like, "How fast can I get this pink hair out of my head <laughs> and off of my hair?" And she was like, "I told you six or seven washes, but you know, this is the same day. This is the same day, and so you spent money on I, this, and I've spent, and you were kind of excited lot. about it, and I was so excited about it. Oh my god, uh, I had a, I had a wedding to go to the next day. I was like going to come with my pink hair. It was going to match my dress. Um, I feel anxious in my body. And I story. And I ended up, I ended up. Um, I he said, put yourself on tape with the pink hair, but say that say that you that it'll wash out and we'll see what happens. And when I I was like, okay, no problem. So I I, I taped the audition with the pink hair, and then I call my 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 hairdresser to you know find out how fast it can come out, and she tells me I'm leaving the country. <laughs> on Saturday and if you book this part you have to fly to Vancouver on Sunday so like that's not going to happen like you have to come in now and we have to get this we have to strip the pink from your hair and we have to retone your hair all this stuff oh, which so, is you know if people have not I have had pink and blue and several colors of hair and uh, for people listening who might not know and I'm sure you know now uh, stripping not hair hair follicles don't love that not not great on the hair no it's not it's not good not for, gentle it's it's not something you want to do not a hair mask especially if if your hair is supposed to look nice and healthy like it is for tv so i basically i put myself on tape i re-dyed my hair and sure enough i find out that friday while i'm getting ready for the wedding with my with my 
newly toned non-pink hair again that I enjoyed for less than 24 hours, I was immediately pinned for the role. And I was like, yes, like all of this was all worth it. You you potentially have to say no to other opportunities. Yes. So exactly. That, okay. Exactly. So I go I go to the wedding and I'm in a fucking good mood. Sorry, am I allowed to curse? Of course. <laughs> I'm in a fucking good mood for the first time in like forever because I have not had any good news in a while. I'm at a wedding. I've got I I, I had pink hair, but then I didn't, but then I was like, <laughs> it was worth it because I'm totally gonna put this is the this is gonna be the turning of the tides. Oh God. And as I'm sitting at the wedding, and first of all, <laughs> there's a photographer with pink hair, and I'm like just so jealous <laughs> of this photographer <laughs> snapping photos of everyone like oh i could have had pink hair too with this photographer you had um, it for, for what 12 hours 12 hours 12 hours i had it but i was in such a good mood and and this was a wedding that was filled with a lot of people in the entertainment business and and i have a tendency i don't like when when i'm having a drive spell i don't like to be around people in the entertainment industry because the inevitable question is always what are you up to how are you doing? Like, you know, I was already feeling like upset about like so many things. And you had mentioned I was on Grey's. I have no idea if I'm coming back on the show. It was like a lot of mix. Like, you know, if like someone was like, how did this do? I would just, it would feel very fake to be yeah. like, great. When, when I don't feel like, when I don't know. I feel like and, everyone can relate to that even too outside of the entertainment industry of like, it's challenging to be around people who you know will ask right. how you're doing when you're right. not thrilled about answering. <laughs> and also so many of them are also like killing it or so it seems, you know, but but it, a lot of them, you know, like are getting like Emmy Awards, you know, so like it's 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 just a different situation. And there was a part of me that was like, I feel like going in there just knowing that I was pinned um, and what I had done and like, like that the tides were turning, I was in such a good mood. And I, and I was thinking to myself, Oh, I'll, I'll like, I'll, I'll, I'll dance a little and I'll schmooze and I'll do all this stuff. And then, and then I, and then I just thought to myself, what, what's happening here? What, why is that the reason I'm going to have fun at a wedding where I care about the people? Where I want to be dancing regardless. Like, I, I just really hated knowing that had I heard that morning, Lynn, it's not going to go any further. Had I heard like nothing from my audition, that I probably would have felt sad and like I wanted to hide a bit. The craziest part of it all is that I've been in this industry for decades. I've had so many close calls, so many pins, so many things. It's like, why have I not learned this lesson by this time that like it in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. Even when even when I get the part and I do it years later, it's not it's not what fills me. It's not what I'm like still thinking about. But yeah. me going to a wedding, dancing my ass off and looking at the photos 10 years later, that fills me up. And right. so I just made this decision in that moment. I will not let that be the reason I have a spring in my step. I will not let that be the reason 
that like I feel I look in the mirror and feel good about myself. And it just hit me. Oh my God, this is so familiar to my eating disorder. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. It, like, yeah, it was it would be like the whole like I put on pants and they don't fit. And it's like, well, there goes my yep. year. <laughs> you know, uh, even though it's like, what, why, why, why? So I, I I consciously made that decision that evening. And on Monday, when I got the call that I had been unpinned, I felt amazing because I had already had proof that I wasn't going to let it bother me. I already had proof that like living in the unknown and living with the knowledge that like it wasn't going to be something that determined how I lived my life um, that weekend. I already had proof that it wasn't going to have that power for me. I said earlier, it wasn't about like making friends with rejection, but it's more like allowing it to sit at the table with me. Like, I don't need to be your friend. You don't need to be my friend, but we can be here together existing. I don't need to give you power and you don't need to take anything away from me. I think for me, a huge part of my eating disorder recovery was the moment where I thought to myself, I think I can be at peace with where my eating disorder is. And for a long time, I couldn't be at peace with it until I looked or weighed a certain amount. Mm -hmm. Because then it was like, oh, well, I can be cool with it, but only if I fit into these pants. Like there was something in the back of my head that was always like, we can we can do this so long as I I'm I, I at the end of the day when I look in the mirror I feel comfortable with who that person is and and in my mind that person weighs this much and it wasn't until I changed the part about the person in the mirror who I looked at and being okay with them like truly 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 allowed myself to think about the person who I am and how it didn't really, I, I was not going to allow how much I weighed or what pants I fit into to be the, to be any part of the equation at all any longer. Um, that I was finally able, and it's been, it's been over, it's been over almost, God, it's been almost 15 years now. Mm. Since I struggled with with my eating disorder, I think there's something similar, and I, I'm figuring that out still with rejection, where yeah. it's not like, like right because right now I feel like my relationship with rejection for so long was like, oh, I'm fine with rejection so long as I know that there's like a, a good right. job at the other end or like a career step forward or something that like makes the rejection worth it because that's what you hear so often. You always hear about like everyone's rejection stories, but it's okay because now you're starring in such and such movie or you just won this award. And I need to get to the place where it's the rejection is okay and that may never happen. I was like taking some notes as, as you were talking about that and unpacking. And I mean, I think what you're, what you're really talking about here with allowing rejection it's not even allowing like it's like gravity it's gonna be here so you can either resist it and and let it fuck with you 
or you can just accept it, just like accepting our bodies. Because I think my kind of radical thought around our bodies and eating disorders, which I have so much, it's, it's kind of one of the only areas of life where I feel very opinionated about. And I, and I'm sure you, you do as well, just because someone was asking me, we were talking about something random. We're talking about like the queen and the monarchy and and my friend, it's my friend, Joey, who's, who's been on this podcast and she, she lives in London and we were, she was just like, are there any topics that you feel really intense about? Or like, we, we both don't even like feel any, you know, huge sort of intensity around that topic, but we were just like, it, it, was the impetus of a broader conversation around other things. And I was like, I, I do around probably this one area, which is eating disorder recovery and everybody's relationship to diet culture and, and wellness and, and our bodies. And one thing that is kind of radical that I learned from Isabel Fox and Duke, who's been on this podcast a million times, which is just that like our bodies aren't really in our control. Like we can try to control them for a period of time, but they're going to do whatever they're going to want to do to stay alive. And I think it's sort of the same with rejection or gravity. It's, you know, and it's really, we're talking about what we resist persists. And, you know, when you can accept something, then you're less attached to an outcome. And, non-attachment is a very attractive energy, right? Like when you think about energetics and anything we're clenching to, anything we're attaching to hurts us, I, I think, ultimately. And whether it's your body being a certain way, a role, a job, a relationship, a person, someone texting you back, you know, all of it. And I think for me, it compounds. And I think you were alluding to that too. It's like when I'm feeling really good or I'm in a new relationship or I'm getting a really great work thing or whatever, I'm not concerned about the people who aren't texting me back or I'm not even noticing. But when I'm already feeling down... I'm clocking all that and I'm spiraling downward. It's really interesting how how these things impact us and, and snowball and wherever we put our identity. It it reminded me, you know, as you were speaking about that that David Foster Wallace graduation speech or This Is Water, where he talks about we all worship something, right? Like if it's vanity, then you know you're going to die a hundred deaths because aging happens, right? Or if it's work, it's it, like rejection is part of it again and again and again. And I and I think to your point about relating it to eating disorders and and our relationship with food and our bodies, it's like whatever we make special is what we worship, and it's just kind of a game of whack a mole. I think about. I heard Eckhart Tolle say this about manifestation. Someone asked him about manifestation, and his response was, "Who are you to think you know what you want?" And that's always stuck with me. Of like everything I've thought I've wanted, I've either gotten and been like, "Oh man, all right, this is it," or I've lost it, or you know. But a lot of the great things in my life, I never even could have anticipated wanting, and then I, you know, have gotten or not gotten. You know, it's it's again, it goes back to control. And like that's kind of the ultimate thing with eating disorders. And this episode that I mentioned that I listened to you on today, which is really good. It was like for a Colorado radio show and it's about addiction. And it was it was really well produced and did a great job of 
painting the picture of your eating disorder and the timeline of it over your career. And I knew the beats of it from knowing you and from hearing podcasts with you and interviews and and being familiar with your story, but it helped me to to hear it in this format. And you got into some of the minutia of what binging looked like for you. This was an addiction show. And I think you were the first or only episode about eating disorders. And it's a very complex addiction, as you know, because it's... And I'm not saying that drugs and alcohol and sex and codependency and, and all of those things aren't challenging. But the physicality of eating and food and the the inability to do abstinence with this, you know, like we have to do harm reduction, essentially, is challenging because like with binge eating kind of what you were talking about there it, with rejection it's like we're all trying to fill what they say in the 12 steps is like this god-shaped hole inside of us or you know the shaped hole of whatever it is that we worship we're trying to fill this gaping wound that you know we all kind of come in with and we're trying to comfort ourselves through food or addiction or people or for me it's been a combination of all of the things you know but my main one is food and controlling food and my my body and what people think of me and you know and all these little things and they add up and it's really challenging and i'm curious where you are with food and and binging and that cycle because it was it was really interesting to hear you talk about the mindset of what binging looked like for you because and the guilt around that because as you were talking about it, i was like oh I do that like every day. I just call it like eating a lot of food. And like, and and that's something that Isabel reframed in my brain because I think the guilt didn't serve me to be like, you did this bad thing. It just made me do it more. And I think you talked about intuitive eating a little bit in there, but I just think it's such a challenging situation to handle because it's so physical and you it also is something that you have to handle comments from people about your body you have to handle your emotions around it being jarring when your body changes and as someone whose body has varied in size more times than probably it would be natural for the age that I am, even though everybody's bodies fluctuate. You know, you said something in there about like you keep clothes of all different sizes and, you know, kind of the eating disorder recovery language that I've always gotten is like throw away anything that doesn't fit. And I've done that. And then I've been like, oh great, now I gotta buy all new clothes again. And I get a little high from that. And then I'm also like, well, you gotta stay here because this is expensive and you threw away all the others, you know. So I I actually really thought that was helpful. And Anyway, just all of this to say, it's like, it's so nuanced. It's so different for every single person. Rejection, eating disorders. Every I think everybody has a complex relationship with food and their bodies just because we live in diet culture and there are messages coming at us all the time. And we live in a world that is really mean to people and larger bodies and fat phobic and praises whatever the standard of beauty is and especially in your industry and I'm curious where are you with all of this now that that episode I listened to was was recent but I'm curious how the pandemic maybe affected this for you like where are you with that in terms of when you're feeling down or when you're feeling rejection like how does your relationship to food and you know your work was more food focused with the actors diet for a while and now it's not as much so i'm i'm curious where you are with that all of that 
Thank you so much for so eloquently sharing <laughs> how, yeah, exactly what you said, nuanced recovery is. It's so funny. I was thinking actually about this today because um, I went out to eat the other night for the first time in a long time with my husband and our cousin and our friend. And we, we were going to a new restaurant, which I used to be the go-to girl. Like when there was a new restaurant, like every, I, I just knew everything that was opening and it's just not a part of my life anymore. The pandemic definitely did affect that. But also because I developed celiac about four or five years ago. And when that happened, it just made it so that I became so sensitive to gluten that I couldn't even touch it. Like, I, like I'm, the cross-contamination thing is a real problem for me. And when I was working, uh, it would show up in, in rashes and sometimes it would show up as canker sores in my mouth and then I couldn't even talk and do my job. So because it became something that was so physically debilitating, uh, if I was to risk it initially, it was really scary for me because I was I was so afraid that this would manifest into another type of eating disorder or another type of obsession over food that I just like was like, oh, I just got over this. But if there was anything I kind of knew while I was recovering, it was that I knew that my relationship with food and my body and my eating disorder and my history with it, all of it, that it's going to constantly change. And once I once I understood that, once I understood like one day, you now at the time I thought I would be pregnant. So I thought like one day I'm going to get pregnant and my relationship with my body will change. And one day I will be postpartum and my relationship with my body will change. And then, you know, one day I might develop some sort of disease, not knowing that it was going to be celiac and then it'll change. And then one day I'll, I'll be much older and maybe I won't have teeth and my relationship with food will change. And I just, once I like knew that, it just like, it relaxed me and made me just stop. Like, it's interesting. It's like the behavior can be s similar for two people. And for one person, it might be called binging and another person it just might be called eating and another person it might be called restricting and another person. It just might be called listening to your body. And once I like was at peace with that, um, I just really stuck to what got me through my eating disorder to begin with. And that was that what I put in my body is my business. What I, how I look at my body is my business and how I feel in my body is my business. And also I was like promoting my movie, which was a very stressful time. I had a movie that I was putting out during a pandemic. That was my directorial debut. So like, the last thing that my brain needed to think about was like, how, how are we doing this, this, this food balanced diet thing? You know, it wasn't, it wasn't what I was thinking about. Mm -hmm. So coming out of all of that from 2021 until, until where we are today. And I know it's going to change again, you know, like as, as, as more restaurants open up, as more places are more celiac, fr celiac friendly, as I start to like, like we'll, we'll be traveling soon. I'm like experimenting with different types of um, celiac friendly digestive 
help, you know, to help with my gut health to try to like build it up so that like when we travel, I can eat more, more, a more varied diet. That'll change too. It's just whether I have the brain bandwidth to handle all that goes along with it. This week's episode is brought to you by Sprout Living. If you aren't familiar with Sprout Living, buckle up. I'm about to tell you about it. Plant-based protein powders. And they aren't just protein powders. These are special. And I'm going to tell you why. Not only do they use quality ingredients, nothing fake, nothing gimmicky. They also are multifunctional products, which is super cool. So instead of, you know, just being your your protein powder, they use real superfoods, adaptogens and nootropics, which is great because it makes it, you know, we love to to do multiple things at once here, really, you know, multitasking, maybe not good in practice, but great for your protein powder. This means convenience. This means cost savings. This means less waste for the planet. These are all things that we love here at Let It Out. And you might know this about me. You might not. I love walking. I'm a big uh, pedestrian. And these sorts of products allow me to do what I need to do in the day, which is walking an excessive amount, sending several voice texts to friends and neighbors. And, you know, Sprout Living gives me the energy to do what I need to do. Their Epic Protein Mindful Matcha is a blend that contains ingredients that help boost mental clarity, focus, and memory, which clearly I need. So, you know what, can you tell? Can you tell I've been a little bit more with it? I think it's the mindful matcha. You, you can try it yourself. I think you can really taste the difference in these products because they obviously put so much care and thoughtfulness into them. There's no weird aftertaste or obnoxious sweetness because of the you know odd fake sweeteners. And I really, really think they're checking so many boxes. They're checking boxes I didn't even know were, were there, which yes, is a line that, um, Someone wrote in a Valentine for me uh, in high school. But you know what? It's also true of, of Sprout Living. Oh, gosh, you check boxes for me that I didn't even know were there, Sprout Living. And I'm so happy that you are here and that your products exist. I've never seen such consideration and attention to quality like you have. And I feel really confident recommending it to you my friends listening right now. They have so many different flavors. There's something for everyone. Chocolate maca. There's a complete coffee blend that I really love. Use the code let it out for 20% off your order. Again, that's code let it out for 20% off your order. Thank you so much, Sprout Living. I love you so much and I'm so grateful that you're here. Have you read Ellen Satter's definition of normal eating? No. It's essentially like normal eating. There are people who are normal eaters and there are people who are like us who have had a complicated relationship with food. So like we have to relearn how to be normal eaters, right? Right. And there are a lot of people who aren't normal eaters because of diet culture and, you know, body image. So it's essentially, you know, eating when you're hungry, stopping when you're full most of the time, overeating at times and wishing you, you know, had stopped before, but also being like, okay, cool. The cookies were there and I feel a little bit weird, but that's part of it. And then also under eating at times and wishing you had more, but knowing you just 
didn't and that being okay, but not attaching meaning to that either. And just knowing that your body will make up for your mistakes and it's complex and it's really beautiful and and well-written and I didn't do it justice, but you know, that's kind of like the guiding force. And then I also know like, that's not my default, unfortunately. So like I have to do the best I can within that not being fully possible for me, you know? And yeah. Anyway, it's it's complicated. And and one thing, you know, you mentioned you mentioned Abe, and I'd love to talk a little bit about romantic relationships in general and just within eating disorders because for me, <laughs> the the two haven't really been able to like effectively coexist because it's a distraction from intimacy, right? Like there's this other thing that takes up so much of your brain. And when you were describing the minutia of what binge eating looked like for you and felt like for you in this episode, it reminded me of like so much of, of having an eating disorder is lying. You're mm-hmm. lying to yourself. You're lying to everyone around you. And it's not like even conscious. It's just to get by. And it's very hard to do that as well as being in an intimate relationship because you're around someone all the time. And, you know, honesty is necessary for harmony within intimacy. I know you've been through many phases of of this with with Abe. So I'm just curious if you have any lessons on that or how you've navigated that. And just lessons on, you know, being in a long-term romantic relationship for, you know, a, a long time in general. Like what have you learned? Abe and I have been together. We're gonna celebrate our God, our twentieth twentieth anniversary, wedding anniversary. And our wow, 20, 26, 26 years total. Wow. Yeah. That is so cool. If there's anything I do feel like I'm an expert at, it's my relationship with Abe. <laughs> and uh the biggest thing I learned, we learned together when I was going through my eating disorder recovery, when I was in, really in the thick of it, was that he couldn't fix me. He really wanted to. He really, really, really wanted to like, okay, what do I need to do? What do I need to buy? How can I help? What can I put in the house? Uh, is there a signal you can do if I rub your back? Will that help? Uh, you know, like if things are getting too hard and we'll get out of here, like... I knew he was trying so hard and I and I appreciated that and I loved having a supportive partner but at the end of all those years I could not step past it you know like no matter how beautiful he told me I looked or how he didn't care and I and I and I and I believed him you know I believe that he I still do that like he would love me at any size however I looked but I I needed to I needed to be the one to go through it and I needed to be the one to be okay with my I mean ultimately I had to be the one to be okay with myself. So he just really took my took my cues and I appreciate that so much because he really tries to listen and 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 implement what I've asked but then he's also really good at following up to make sure that I'm still like on that page. I think that him giving me the space to really like 
do what I was going to do without judgment. And also, also he had, he had to trust me. He had to trust me. I, I needed that too. I needed, I needed to trust myself. So like, I needed to do it without like being like, I need him to, to monitor me or I need him to like make sure at the end of the day that uh, I've done what I, what I said I was going to do because then it did become about like when I did fuck up, when I did fall off the wagon, it was just filled with so much shame. Like I let us both down. We have some questions from our mutual friends that I would love to ask you if you have time. Okay. So Serena, our friend who, you know, we do spiraling together, our our podcast about anxiety and you are the first person, Jessica Vernan had connected us, but when I first moved to New York, you were visiting New York and you got together, Phoebe and Serena and you and I. Do you remember that day? Yes, I do. Union I was just Square? talking about it. And Katie, was Katie Horwich there too? Or she couldn't make it? I, I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, maybe she was. I can't remember either. It, it felt very sex in the city. Yeah, it was great. And that was the first time I met Serena in person. Oh so, my gosh, I didn't even know that. Yeah, which is so wild. Like, you know, I never... Spiraling would not exist without you. Wow. Well, so she asked, and I was going to play it, but I'll play Jess's, but Serena's I'll, I'll summarize, but she was asking about LA and, and asking about, you know, being here and, and you've been here for a long time, but what is your, you know, greatest love about it and greatest frustrations with it? And I think she was like, since, since I'm, you know, so I still think I'm new here because even though it has been a minute, it doesn't seem as such. <laughs> there have been some moments this this summer. The other night we went to the Greek theater. And whenever I leave the Greek theater, and as I'm walking back, um, we actually park pretty far. So we park down the hill and we walk back. But as we're we're walking, and we left the concert, and there are all those um, carts with the bacon wrapped hot dogs and smelling those bacon wrapped hot dogs and seeing everyone so happy we had gone to see Bonnie Raitt, like so high off of the music still. So many different types of people walking through and just experiencing that great concert and knowing that like we just we walked to our cars and drove home in like 10 minutes like that doesn't happen in other cities. You don't get to go see Bonnie Raitt under the stars, (laughs) grab a bacon wrapped hot dog and then like saunter home. How magical. Is that so that's those are some of the things I love about L.A. or like all the outdoor summer things that we have. Hollywood Bowl, Greek Theater, uh, LACMA Jazz Fridays. Um, I love that, you know, and you're actually in uh, in Highland Park. I love so many things about Highland Park. Whenever I go there, I always go to Sway So Shop. In Frogtown? Yeah. In Frogtown, yes. Yes, we go there and then we go to Galco's in Highland Park. And I just find that like these businesses with just some of them have such a long history, but like are just such a embedded part of the community. And it feels like the community takes care of them in the way that like a smaller town would. But here we are in a city. I just I love that about LA. It's it reminds me of like when I was a kid watching movies and and thinking to myself, like, what are those towns in America like? Because they're supposed to be any town USA, but really they're all filmed in LA. And so the feel of LA sometimes reminds me of like an 80s movie. Mm-hmm. Um, 
or that like I just sometimes when I'm driving around Burbank, I really I I feel the nostalgia uh, that is preserved, but then is still living with us today in um in our current state of the world. Mm, well, this is cool because before I. I moved to New York is when we spoke last. And I think we talked about New York probably a decent amount. And, you know, I didn't, as you know, I didn't plan to move here, but oh man, I really love it. And I, I, what you were saying about my neighborhood and about, you know, I'm, I know your neighborhood too, and every neighborhood feels this way, but it really does feel like a small town here, sometimes too much and in, in a funny way. But if, you know, I, I was saying to my friend Captain a couple weeks ago where, he like picked me up for dinner and he was like, how's your day? And I was like, Oh my God, it like really felt like high school today. Like I dropped <laughs> off this thing and then I ran into this friend and then I like had to be at this garage hill. And then I saw this, you know, and it was just, that is really comforting and nice. And I never felt like that in New York or honestly anywhere else I've ever lived, but you can also interact with other neighborhoods and I should probably do that more. And all those places you were saying, like I, I haven't really done much culture wise since I've been here. Like I, I went to my first museum recently. I mean, granted it was the pandemic for a good chunk of that, but um, which yeah. one did you go to? I saw the Cy Twombly exhibit at the Getty is yeah, oh. the Getty, right? Yeah. It was so great. It was so great. It was like, the best day ever. It was so fun. Oh, I love that. I, I can't believe th that was your first museum in LA. Yeah. You have so many to see. Can you we go so together to one? Of course. Of course. Let's put it on the calendar. I would love that. And I want, I didn't know about the concerts. I didn't know. I, I actually have been to the Greek. My, my friend Lindsay got me tickets to Andrew Bird for my birthday and it, it was also incredible and i i remember the hot dogs as well <laughs> <laughs> all right let me play jess has two questions oh. so i'm going to play them um for us and we'll see if you can you can hear okay here we go i know that there was a time when now? she was ready yeah. to give up on acting i mean she was gonna call it quits after doing it for so long but then something shifted. She started to make her own films. She started to get huge roles. What does she attribute that to? Was it luck? Was it changing gears? Was it doing something different? Because to go from almost wanting to quit to getting really what she wanted as an actress, what does she attribute that to? Because I don't know if I could have kept going, but she did. So that's question number one. You can tell she's a podcaster. Yeah. I feel like I get yeah. to um, just... <laughs> I, I'm done for the night because <laughs> Jess is taking over. That was so, so that was a really articulate. Such a great question. As soon as I got that this morning, I was like, <laughs> she's incredible. And this is Jessica Renan, who's been on this podcast a million times and has a incredible several podcasts. Um, one part podcast and a mutual friend of ours, but okay, take it away. <laughs> okay. So I'll, I'll answer that question since it's nice and fresh in my mind. Yeah. I was going to quit 
And I really was going to quit. I, I had I I feel like a lot of actors do this where they say, you hear that? I'm going to quit. And then they're like looking over their shoulder like, where's the next job? But I'm going to quit. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I, I, I really meant it. I meant it so much that I not only told everyone, including Jessica, but I told directors and casting people. Because when you do that, like, oh, they take you seriously. They're like, oh, she's retiring. We're not going to give her a call. Like, so I was really like ready to see what the next phase of my life was going to be. And because I just didn't see any like upcoming anything happening. And what ended up happening was I, a short that I had been in a year ago, previous to that, uh, won the NBC Shorts Fest. And I won Best Actress, and in turn, I won a holding deal, a talent holding deal with with NBC. And even though I knew, like, I know that sounds really impressive, and it it, it was, like, an honor, and it was great. But I also knew that, like, it probably wasn't going to pay very much or really do things for my career. But what I did think was, like, okay... This is an opportunity for sure. I'm not going to turn it into something it's not, which is like, I, I, I knew I wasn't going to get my own NBC show out of it, you know? Um, but what I did think was, huh, they are going to pay for me to get new headshots. They're going to pay for me to take classes, which I hadn't done in forever. Um they're going to set me up on meetings with executives at NBC. So I just sort of went about it like, all right, I'm going to go back to class. There was a part of me that was like, you know, I've, I've, I've been the lead in movies. I have, I've, I've been recurring on many TV shows. I just won this award for acting. You want me to go to acting school with like people who just graduated and came off the bus from Kansas and don't have an agent. Like I can't, I don't think I can do that. You know, like I don't, I don't think I can move backwards in that way. Like I think it's too depressing for me, if anything, too frustrating. But what I found actually was that I was eating many slices of humble pie each and every day in class because these little actresses from Kansas City were acting circles around me. They were incredible. And it just really, and it wasn't in a way that I was like, I got to step it up. Um, it was more like, wow, like I, I want to, I want to play around with this. And I actually think that was when I started unbeknownst to me at the time, directing actors and realizing I I'm quite good at this. I'm, I, I can be, I, I know how to tell an actor how to do a scene differently in a language that they would, they would understand. So that was one thing. The other thing was during that time, I started writing for the first time. I wrote a, I wrote a pilot, not thinking that it would get sold or anything, but more like they told me they would introduce me to execs at NBC. So I'm going to write a pilot. And I did. And I think that with the combination of those two things of going back to class of, of seeing that, like, I'm part of something that I'm not like, I don't know everything that I can continually get better, that it's okay if I'm not like great or the best, that like there, there was just an ease to it. And also the fact that like I tried writing for the first time and I thought and even though it was really hard and and clunky and weird for me I was still like 
I this scratches an itch for me that I I didn't know that I that I would enjoy. And so from there, I after the holding deal was done, I started writing I will make you mine because that was another opportunity that presented itself to me since it was the third movie in a trilogy that I had been part of previously. And when the director of those first two movies told me he would let me write, direct, produce, and star in it, and that he would help me, I knew, oh, wow, this is, this is another opportunity. It's like having this beginner's mindset again of, of a willingness to learn and to grow still continually, even if you've been doing it for your entire life and you like know how frustrating it can be. And you also like have watched people who have become huge movie stars who you have only been in it for like five minutes. It feels like it's not even like not about like comparing yourself to them, but just sort of like allowing yourself to at least I, I at that time, I was allowing myself to stop being like, I'm not where I want to be. Ugh, it's so frustrating watching other people be where I want to be so much quicker. Obviously, this isn't meant for me to like, hey, I, I do this because I don't know what else to do. And so whenever there's an opportunity, I'm just going to explore it a little bit with curiosity and with gentleness and kindness to myself. It's a real tricky balance, I think, of finding a way to be confident in yourself, but also super humble is not the word. Just what, what, would, what would the word be for like when you, you're not like a total beginner, but like you're, lear- you're learning, you're, um, yeah. you're in process. I'm not yeah, sure. In process. In process. Yeah. It feels like it, it's like, you're not quite like immature, but you're still learning. You're still like very much a student. And I actually find that really, I find that exciting. So the long answer to Jessica's question is this willingness to kind of press the reset button, which I, I don't think I had. I don't think I had the willingness to re- press the reset button and start over again. I thought I what it was going to be was I was going to press the reset button and then play a different game. But instead, I did it almost like it was almost like I had am- I, I gave I let myself have amnesia with my own with my own career. And be like, does this still feel good? Do I still like this? What is this? Does this serve me? And if it did, great. And if it didn't, it's okay. Like, move on. Find another way. It's what I always think about, you know, when... If anyone tells you whether they're a self-help book author, and I've happened to have met a couple, or they're a yoga teacher, or they're an actor, or they're a writer, or they're a whatever they're a accountant like if anyone tells you they know everything about their field and they are a guru and they are that's probably not a person we want to like be friends with you know what i mean like there's always more to learn and grow hopefully until we die or else it would be really boring yeah okay this is our next question from jess then from felicity has she been able to separate him from the reality of i won't even use his real name Because he's only been, and I know, I mean, there's a lot of celebrities that are known for their character, but like Phoebe, she's Lisa Kudrow, Sarah Jessica Parker. Yes, she played Carrie Bradshaw, but I'm able to separate the two. Ben will forever be Ben. 
I cannot separate it. I cannot unsee it. (sighs) Was she able to, and was she still mad at him about what he did to Felicity? I must know. (laughs) She's so good. Isn't she great? Oh my God. I cannot (sighs) believe she asked me a Felicity question. Um, At first I thought she was going to ask if I like ran into him on the Grey's Anatomy set, which Honestly, well, I think that's what she was referring to. <laughs> <laughs> if did you I, work with him? I did not. I like, you know, saw him at virtual table reads, but our characters never cross paths. Mm. Um, and honestly, like I he he I can't separate him from Ben. <laughs> so um, she's I right. If I, no one can. If I, <laughs> if I if I I think if I saw him, I would go running <laughs> the other direction uh-huh. so that I didn't have to talk to him uh, or interact with him. Um, I, it's funny because he's probably that character is probably the only character that I grew up with that like, uh, like I like would not be able to function <laughs> because it was such a, like maybe him and, and um he's no longer with us but dylan mckay from 90210 mm-hmm. so it's like i she so she was asking if 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 felicity ever forgave him what, what and well she was i think she thought maybe you worked with him but she was like can you separate him as the character of ben which um you cannot <laughs> um I can. and neither I can. can i and she's right and then she was saying you know can one forgive him for what he did to Felicity. And I don't remember enough of the ending of Felicity to remember exactly what he did. Do you? How does it end? You know what? I rewatched it a few years ago and I still can't really remember because in my mind, Ben will always be that boy who can do no wrong. Uh uh You know, he is like, he is like the one who like, yeah, (laughs) he can do whatever. And he'll always be like, all he has to do is put his hands on my face yeah, all is forgiven. Well, you know what I've learned here? It's time to watch, do a rewatch of Felicity. <laughs> so I can get to the bottom of this. You know, it's really funny speaking again of my husband and how supportive he is. When a few years, maybe eight or nine years ago, he said to me, um, you know what I'm going to do for, for your birthday this year? I'm going to watch all the Felicity with you. And I was like, <sighs> really? And he's like, yeah, I'm going to do that for you. And I was like, great. So we are four episodes in and he turns to me and says, do they ever talk about anything other than Noah or no- Noel or Noel. Ben? Noel or Ben? And I was like, nope. Okay. <laughs> there's 24 episodes. Buckle up. <laughs> and that's all it's going to be. But God bless my husband. He watched the entire show with me oh that's incredible i when you were saying that about about ben being like the one of two that you would get star struck around like i think i was a little bit too little when felicity was out to i didn't watch it when it was on but i watched it on netflix like not recently but maybe like i don't know in like 2014 or something like a long time ago now but my version of that was the OC. And mm. I think if I saw Adam Brody, <laughs> I've dated a lot of people who look like Adam Brody, who, you know, liked Death Cab at the time as much as Seth Cohen, who had similar, like, it's very much like been a, been a trope. And oddly, this 
actor who's very famous came to my hometown. It was on Obama's campaign, but it was like, just imagine if like Ben, I mean, I guess for you, it's a little bit different because it wasn't like a random town in the Midwest where you were, but it was very random, like of all celebrities to be on Obama's campaign, like in my random hometown in the Midwest, it to be the one that I like have an insane crush on. (laughs) Like, so he came there and then recently he came into the shop that I work at. (gasps) I think I've seen him like a Another, I'm trying to think. There was another something else in New York, but it's like leaving my brain right now. I don't know. I'll, I'll text you after. But um, isn't that wild? Like, and same for you. Like, you literally are like on the same TV show as one. You know, it's 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 wild. It is very wild because, especially because the, the my first day working on Grays, I saw that they had chairs set up um, near the COVID testing area, and one of the one of them was from Felicity, and one of them was from Grays, and I took a photo of it to like remember the moment forever. And I did; they didn't announce that Scott Speedman was on the show until like the day of it was announced in Deadline, but I didn't even see that. I was watching the show; I didn't know who Meredith's new love interest was, and then I watched the show, and he came on, and I screamed. And my husband's like, I really wish you would not do that. Because <laughs> he knew what Ben meant to me uh, after having watched that show with me. Oh um, my gosh. He was like, I was like, I can't, I, but I was like, oh my God. I, it was like faded because yeah. I saw the chairs there. Um, yeah. Again, that said, he's, he's one of those people who like i i've met a lot of famous people like it doesn't really make me like blush and 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 sweat (laughs) in the same way like it's because he's like he's yeah like he's a character to me um but he's not he's a person and i don't want to ruin it (laughs) i don't want to ruin it for myself it's funny oddly now this has just become the Felicity podcast, which apparently maybe we should start honestly (laughs) um just just as down clearly um yeah, let's workshop that later. But anyway, I went upstate to this incredible person who I met through this podcast. She was dating the chef at this resort or not resort. What do you call it? Like a bed and breakfast upstate. And she was like, Hey, if you want to come up like during the weekdays, you know, you can come for like really cheap or something like that. And I was like, Oh, great. Like, this is lovely. And I went and I a bunch of other like odd kismet things happened, which I'll tell you when we go to the museum later. But one is that I, I go down to the restaurant like the first night because you know there's you have to like eat there. And um next to me is Carrie Russell. <laughs> oh my god. And straight hair or curly hair? Kind of like brushed out curly. And and oddly, I had just seen her in a Broadway production. She was in this this play with Adam Driver. God, what was it called? Um was that, was that Fat Pig? No, it, was, it had the name Burn in it. The Burn word notice. Burn in it. No, Burn. I don't know. It Burn was cool. this after reading? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> there were only three characters. It was Adam Driver, Carrie Russell, and someone else. And I, I just saw it. And then like, I don't know, maybe the next week I was upstate and she was next to me. And like I said to to my friend who, who was like kind of why I was there. She like commented on the state of the obvious and she was like, yeah, she comes in and he used to be a chef like somewhere in New York and she always gets a burger and he knows like exactly how she likes her burger and she gets the same thing and eats it this certain way. And I just like 
watch the whole thing happen next to me and chatted with her. And she was like, I just like made no mention of any sort of knowing who she was because I just didn't, I, you know, I could have been like, oh, I love, you know, love your work. Sorry, you lost it. I just didn't at all. It was like, nice to meet you. Like, I'm Katie, you know, I got to go. She was wonderful in the Americans also. Yeah, she's watch that. She's so, incredible. Yeah. She's yeah, like she incredible. truly. Yeah, I, I need to watch the Americans with my friend Zoe. She would love that show. We were just talking about. She loves my my friend Crystal asked her like we were talking we were gonna go see a movie the other night which we did, but we were like figuring out what Zoe liked and and Crystal was like what kind of movies do you like and she's like anything espionage and spy movies <laughs> and so. I should watch that with Oh, her. that's the perfect show. Right? Yeah. As yeah. soon as you said that, I was like, oh, that'd be great. Um, all right. Well, I could talk to you forever. This has been a delight, you know, top to bottom, left to right. And I hope we do this many more times. Many we more time will. capsules I hope of so this too. friendship. I, I'm um, so happy that you had me on the show. Congratulations. And oh my God. How many episodes is it now? Too what many. Too many, Lynn. <laughs> 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 I gotta I, mean, I gotta do something else, I think. I gotta read tire but truly i'm doing it i'm so grateful that you took the time and congratulations to you i mean we didn't even scratch the surface in your work we talked all about your rejection but if we were doing a, a normal podcast would have talked about the fact that you know when people say i am not a doctor and i don't play one on tv you can't say that anymore <laughs> that's very true that's very true if you want to know how to do a surgery fake <laughs> a fake surgery. I, I'm your girl. Do you know, feel like you could it. like be a little bit more of a doctor now, having after having? I haven't. They are so you know precise about medical things that sometimes when I watch reenactments on TV, like where they obviously did not have a proper medical person on staff, I'm like they are holding those wrong. You know, like I yeah. always can tell. So I mean. That that is, I, I would not be able to perform a surgery by any means, but I definitely am able to. Um, I, I don't know. There's like a part of 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 doing quote unquote surgery on screen that's very meditative, and I I enjoy it a lot. Okay, I have a just hilarious question that just came to me. You really need to go. But what? Okay, let's just say for the sake of argument, you're on a plane, and someone's like. Is a doctor here? Like, would is there? Maybe we should write this as like a, a like. Oh my god! A would, short film, and then you have to stand up, and someone's like, "I play one on TV." <laughs> like, <laughs> I would be like, um, first of all, uh, I'm head of plastics, so <laughs> not really, um, probably a good like. What kind of if this, you're having a heart a, attack, a burn, perhaps? perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know if I'm still a doctor. So who knows? Oh, man. Well, truly, I mean, beyond Grey's Anatomy, which is cool and, and obviously fun to talk about. You've done so many incredible things. And what I really want to talk about, and we just completely didn't have time today, was your film and your directorial debut because I was at the premiere and it was incredible and I loved it so much. And I loved yeah. seeing you there and you getting to direct. And I, you know, I think you're going to come back because you have, you know, more things in the works and and we'll talk we'll talk about what's the opposite of rejection success uh <laughs> i will call it what's the like a cornucopia that's filled fullness uh because abundance 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 yes that's sitting in abundance mm -hmm. yeah 
All right. Well, is there anything that you wish that I would have asked that you want to let out before we do the let out the deep breath? No, I think we've covered it all that we needed to. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Inhale. Let it out. (sighs) Thank you, Lynn. Thank you so much, sweetie. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. That was my episode with Lynn Chen. She's so cool. I really love her and I'm glad that you were here and I really love you. If you want to learn more about Let It Out or what we do here, if you're new here, welcome. I'm so grateful and you can find out more in the show notes. I put some episodes in there that I mentioned at the top of the show, like the episode with Virgie and Christy and Zavala and Isabel, who I mentioned in this, so feel free to go back and listen to those. And if you have any questions about joining in process, there is still time left to do so. And I would love to have you. And the episode with Maggie and Brian talks about what that is much better than I could do here. So I would love to see you there or anywhere else. Let It Out has its own Instagram. It's actually Let It Out with three T's. And it's actually me, but you know, I also have a different Instagram. That is my name. So feel free to send me a message there or, you know, let me know how you're doing or, you know, where you're listening. I I really love to, to hear from you. And yeah, it's so cool. Brie and I, Brie edits this podcast. And I think I mentioned this last week, but, but Brie and I went to see my favorite podcast, which is called How Long Gone. And Brie had never listened before, but she was a great sport and came with me. And I'll say this, she's now a fan and we have matching hats and we are now goners together. But anyway, during that episode at Burger Lords after, we got to talk to a lovely person who listens to the show. And it was a really, really special experience. So let me know if, if you are indeed listening. Brie and I would love to hear from you. So thank you for being here. Thank you to Brie for editing the show and saving the podcast. And thank you to Lynn for coming on and talking so vulnerably about rejection and felicity. <laughs> I will talk to you next week with a brand new episode. Goodbye. Goodbye.